Thank you guys so much for choosing to worship with us here at Holland Chapel this morning. I'm so grateful you have. We have had a good day already, haven't we? Amen. Amen. I'm so thrilled to be with you this morning. So excited to celebrate with these folks this morning their decision to follow Jesus in scriptural baptism. So excited about that, and I hope that you are as well. Good morning. My name is Keaton. I'm one of the pastors here, and I never remember to say that. So there you go. I had to write it down even. Uh, Today, we're going to start our new series on mission, on mission. We just wrapped up um, our previous series, What Love? It was a journey through the Gospel of John, part two. So we did uh, part one of the Gospel of John back in the previous year, and then in this new year started a series called What Love? A Journey Through the Gospel of John. If you missed any of those sermons, you you can go to hollandchapel.org, go online and find any of those and catch up on those. I just know that uh, you will be encouraged and challenged, uh, maybe even convicted, uplifted by those sermons. Um, But today we are on mission, and the way we like to say that here at Holland Chapel Our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. Our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. Can you say that with me? Here at Holland Chapel, our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you will, please open your Bible uh, to another gospel account. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's a familiar passage, um, I'm sure, to you guys. But sometimes, if you're like me, things can become a little too familiar um, as we think about spiritual things, as we think about the story of Jesus especially um, and what he's taught us. Those things can become a little too familiar for me, and so I need to be reminded. I need to be refreshed. I need to give a genuine look into the scriptures and allow the scriptures to be a mirror to reflect back on me and say, Keaton, are you, are you taking seriously what the Lord has said here? Are you being, um, as a good friend sent me a message this morning, are you being a doer of the word and not just a hearer or reader only? So Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 18, I'd love to read this with you. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we come before you now this morning and we ask you to help us be a people that is on mission. For your glory's sake, Lord, for the growth of your kingdom, we pray and ask this. Amen. So, according to Matthew's account of Jesus' life, this is the end of his story here, right? That Those verses we read are the very last verses in Matthew's gospel. And so according to Matthew, this is the last words that Jesus shares with his disciples while he was on earth. 
And there are three things that I noticed from those verses that we read that I'd love to, and you may think, wow, Keaton, that's very preacher of you to have three things, and it was only three verses. But three things that I noticed from those verses that I'd love to share with you. Uh, Number one um, is Jesus possesses all authority. Uh, He's our commander-in-chief, right, Mr. Chad? Mr. Chad, he, he's, I've known him to say that from time to time. Jesus possesses all authority. Another thing I noticed from that is Jesus gives his disciples a very plain command. And then a third thing is that Jesus assures them, his disciples, of his presence. So as they carry out, as they follow through with this command, Jesus assures them that his presence will be with them to ensure that that command is carried out. Look back with me, if you will, at verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, let's not forget, the Bible I'm reading from doesn't have it in red, and so sometimes I have to pay a special attention to know that these are the words of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the same Jesus that allowed himself to stand in our place as sacrifice and satisfaction for God the Father's just wrath against our sin, of which we are all guilty. He died standing in our place. And in doing so, he fulfilled the transaction and the prophecies of old. And then he demonstrated his authority over death by rising back to life the third day through the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. So... I would say Jesus has proven his authority. Amen, church? Amen. He does, in fact, have all authority in heaven and on earth. So that, church, is why it's so important that we heed these words. That's the why. Why do we bother listening closely to to what Jesus is saying here? Because he has all authority. He has authority. All authority. So we know the why. Now we must determine the what. What is Jesus saying? And then how? How do we take what Jesus has said? Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So, What is the command here in these couple of verses? What's the command? And before you answer that, um, I don't want to ask a trick question of you because that's not my style. I hate trick questions. I'm too gullible for trick questions. So we're going to have a little bit of an English lesson here, but I am not an English teacher. I am not an English professional in any sense of the word. Much smarter people than me, the Lord has used to, uh, to share this, uh, this idea, this truth, this concept. And so before you answer that, what's the command here? There's a couple things I'd like to, to think about and to look at. So in these words we have, or sorry, in these verses we have several verbs and forms of verbs going on. Um, some of those verbs are called participles, not particles, which is what I wrote in my notes by mistake. They're called participles. <clears throat> And then some of them are imperatives. So imperatives, does anybody know just a common lay term for what an imperative is? 
a command. Thank you so much, Andrea. That's exactly right. An imperative is a command. So if somebody says, it is imperative that you look past Keaton's goofy appearance to hear what the Lord might be saying to you, then it's, it's like very important, right? It's a command. And I'm feeling like I'm going to slip up for all the English teachers in the Word, but I'm going to push through anyway in the room. So I'm going to push through. So an imperative is a command. And participles, the best way I like to think of it is they're helping verbs. They help to, to flesh out, to elaborate, to expound on, to, to demonstrate the point of the imperative verb. In these set of verses, I think it's important to know that the imperative verb is not what I grew up thinking it was. I grew up thinking the imperative verb in these set of verses is go. Go. But it's not. And, and let me pause for just a second and say this. that I think it's such a blessing that we have an abundance of resources. We live in a time now, guys, man, we have so much resources at our fingertips to help us as we approach the Word of God, whether or not we have had any kind of formal opportunity to educate ourselves or not, there's just so much that helps us to interpret God's word in the way that the author originally intended, and I'm so thankful for that. But I will say this, I do think that you don't have to have a formal education, you don't have to have any number of resources to understand the word of God. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you, amen, church? And it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that conveys to us the truth of the Word of God. And I grew up with uh, one of my pastors used to say he had an, I believe it was an uncle, that had a third grade education. He had to quit, drop out of school to help run the family farm, and he read every day from the Word of God from a translation that is much more difficult to understand, and he just relied on the Holy Spirit to speak into him the truth of that Word, and I think you can do that. But it is great to have additional resources. And so, some of those additional resources have led me to this conclusion, that go is not the imperative verb. It is, in fact, a participle. And so instead of saying go as we read these verses, I think it might be more appropriate to say as you are going. As you are going, I think would be a better way to phrase that. A couple of other participles in there um, are the words baptizing, teaching. Those are three participles in these set of verses. The imperative verb is disciple. Disciple. I've also heard it said, people say, well, the, the command there is make disciples. But, but recently in some reading, I saw where um, a man that I trust, because he's, boy, he just, he knows his stuff. He's studied on the original Greek language. And he says that, in fact, the imperative verb is not even connected to a noun. So it's, it's not necessarily make disciples. The command is disciple. Let me give you an example of a verbal command that's not attached to a noun. Run. That's a verbal command. You don't need a noun, right? If somebody you trust that you're with says, run, what are you going to do? You're going to run. You're not going to ask questions, are you? If, uh, if you're at an event and a guy in the, middle of the, in the middle of the stage dressed real nice with a microphone that has come down from the ceiling to him says, fight, do the two people in either corner have any question what they need to do? I'm sorry, Mr. Announcer, sir, you didn't tell me, am I supposed to fight that guy? No, they don't need a noun. They know fight. They know what to do next, right? The two most uh, used imperative commands and verbs in my house are 
clean. My kids sometimes still need that attached to a noun, even though they've been told over and over and over what to clean. Eventually, after I've said it enough times, I, I don't have the patience to tell them what. It's just clean. And yes, I make several syllables out of that word. Another one is eat. I just have a thing like just eat all your food. Like I don't, I don't understand not doing that. Just eat your food. So eat. I don't need any help with that. If somebody looks to me and says, and says, eat, done. I got that handled. I don't need any help. So all of that to say, disciple, disciple. That is the imperative command. I think another good way to translate those verses would be like this. Disciple as you are going. Disciple as you are baptizing. Disciple as you are teaching. That's the what. That's what Jesus has commanded. And those participles, those helping verbs, those are the how. How do we disciple? How did Jesus expect his, his disciples, the early church disciples, to carry out that command, disciple, as they're going, as they're baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as they're teaching all of these people to obey Jesus' commands, Disciple. Verse 20. Jesus says in the second half of that verse, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our assurance. We know the why. Jesus is, has all authority. The what is disciple. The how is as you go, baptizing, teaching. The assurance is Jesus is with them always, even to the end of the age. So what does all this mean for us? What, what in the world do participles and imperatives matter to us in the 21st century church? Well, I think there are three things that um, make this matter. to Luke Brown would be so proud of me. Luke, you guys remember Luke? He's a three-point kind of guy, and I'm not, but uh, I'm going to tell him I'm taking a page out of his book this morning. There are three things, I think, that makes these things matter to us. It's not just jargon. It's not just silly talk, and this is why I think it matters. Number one, as you go about your life in Christ, disciple Number two, making the disciples, it's not your responsibility, it's God's responsibility. We'll flesh these out in a moment. And the third thing that these other two things point us to is our simple task, our responsibility, the way we stay in our lane as followers of Jesus is we carry out discipling by investing and inviting. Back to number one. As you go about your life in Christ's disciple, listen, you don't have to go somewhere else to disciple. Jesus says disciple. As you are going, disciple. You don't have to go somewhere else to do that. I'd love for you to turn your attention to the screen as this video, I think, does a great job explaining this point.
That's a good reminder for us, isn't it? The mission field is wherever you are. You don't have to go somewhere else to disciple. God has you where you are. That's not by mistake. If and when you feel called to go somewhere else, absolutely go. But just know that for so many of us, when we are given the command to disciple, God's probably not going to call us somewhere else. I think of, and I was so, I'm so thankful for our team here at Holland Chapel, or our pastoral team. They just speak truth into my life on a regular basis. And, and one of our team members, um, he, he said, boy, that reminds me of when Jesus saved the demon-possessed man and cast the demon out of him. He was getting on a boat to leave, and this guy just wanted to go with him. He wanted to go with his new Savior. He wanted to follow Jesus, like, specifically where he was going. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It would be so much better if you just stay here. Tell everybody here what I did for you. And I think that's what God calls a lot of us to do. I put you where you are. Stay there. Disciple. As you are going about your life in Christ where you are, disciple. Disciple. To give an Old Testament example of this, if you will, uh, turn over to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29 And we won't, um, we won't be here too terribly long, but I just think this is a great example that I would love for us to read from. Jeremiah chapter 29. There's a verse in here that will be very familiar to you, and I'll try to stay away from um, preaching a sermon on just that verse. But I want us to get this example. So Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord, and he's, he's speaking to God's people, the chosen people of Israel. And his people, um, and this will explain this pretty clearly, but just real quickly, they, they've been taken captive by the Babylonians, okay, and they're about to be pulled from their home country into exile. Jeremiah says <clears throat> this word from the Lord in chapter 29, verse 4, Jeremiah 29, 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Man, that That'll call you to attention, won't it? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says this, verse 5, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Jump down, if you will, to uh, verse 10. The verses between there, Jeremiah addresses a false prophet that he talks about, um, that we have an encounter with in the chapter previous, but we just don't have time for that today. It's an interesting read, though, if you want to read from that. Jump down to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. This very familiar verse, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly. You will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. 
I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So the people of Israel, they're going into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. For many of them, that meant they're probably not going to ever see their homeland again. That generation will be gone, likely. They, they know that's a possibility. And then God says, build homes and plan to stay. You're going to be there for a while, basically. These verses remind me of a parallel that, that we share here, and it makes me think of this old song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. It's a good old Stamps Baxter song. That's some good reading for you, too, as well, if you wanted to go back and check that out. <clears throat> but God told through Jeremiah the, to the people of Israel, you may be here a while. And isn't it true of us, church, that this world is not our home? We're, when you think about it, we're kind of in exile here. Our home is with the Lord in heaven and glory. Our home is the kingdom of God, which we experience in some, I think, powerful ways here on earth. But one day we'll be made perfect. Amen, church? We will enjoy the Lord's presence forever. But God says, you may be here a while. So settle in, get involved in your community, be in the world, be in the world, but not of the world. When I was a kid, I used to use this phrase in a bad way to justify me basically not being in the world. But God has commanded the people of Israel to settle in, pray for this community, get involved, plant gardens, and, and be ready to stay there. Pray for the welfare of this community. And I think God is saying to us, settle in, get involved, pray for the welfare of this community, be in the world, but not of the world. The second thing that I told you, I think these verses back in Matthew uh, give us some purpose in, and that is making disciples isn't your responsibility. Discipling is. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, Let's read um, a set of verses that we read earlier in worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you will uh, turn over there or um, swipe over there if you're using your devices. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul writing to the Corinthians who, who had an issue here, but I think there's something for us this morning. It says, after all, who is Apollos? And who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. What's the point here? Making disciples isn't your responsibility. Discipling is. Paul got this. Paul knew that I just planted the seed in your hearts. Don't follow me. Apollos, he just watered the seed that I planted. Don't follow him. 
follow Christ because it's God who gives the increase. It's God who made the seed grow. I'm just a servant, Paul says. Apollos is just a servant. So church, here's what I want us to get, and I need this more than anybody in the room this morning. Making disciples isn't your responsibility. It's God's. Your responsibility is discipling. So just chill out a little bit. (laughs) There's no scoreboard that you somehow contribute to in your faithfulness to disciple, there's a a one that throws up in lights, and somehow you get credit for that, or somehow it's your responsibility to do that. That's not how it works. God saves, not you, and not me. Don't feel the need to add some other task to your already busy lives and hope that somehow you'll program your way toward being a great soul winner and that many will come to Jesus. It, It just doesn't work that way. So, Instead, just as you're going, disciple and let God give the increase. Let him make grow what will grow. And stop worrying about what does not grow. I get discouraged because I feel like, and this is, I just don't think it's an appropriate feeling. I get discouraged because I feel like, God, I want to be obedient to your command. I want to disciple. But what I really am thinking is I want to make disciples. I want to, I want to put out this effort and see the increase. But that's not my responsibility. That's not my timeline. I don't have the power to do that. Right, church? It's only God that saves. Amen, church? Not me. Not you. All I am called to do is be faithful to Disciple, as I'm going, disciple, as we are baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, disciple, as we are teaching new believers to obey the commands of Jesus, just disciple. God is saying, Keaton, disciple, that's it. Leave the scoreboard up to me. Leave the life change up to me. It's not your responsibility, and big boy, you're not that good. You can't make it happen. You're not powerful enough. Only God can save. The third thing that I mentioned earlier, the way I think we do this well and can stay laser-focused here at Holland Chapel in discipling is by investing and inviting. Investing and inviting. We tell our uh, new members in every membership class these two things, invest and invite. And it's really cool. We did our membership class last week. It it got all kind of shaken up due to the weather. And I'm so thankful for all those that attended. Some that were baptized this morning were in that membership class last week. And it's just so exciting. We give all them a bag like this. And it has really cool stuff in there that um, just help them know a little bit more about Holland Chapel, uh, help them know a little bit more about what it looks like to to follow Jesus, what it looks like to invest and invite um, others around them. And it's just a really neat opportunity. I'd encourage any of you, even if you're already a member here, but you've never been to that class, sign up for the next one. It's, it's really, really good stuff, and I think it will encourage you very much. So invest and invite. How do we invest? Well, I think the first way we can invest is by praying for people, praying for people. And don't devalue this. Again, 
You and I don't have the power to save. Only God does. So let's relinquish that control in the most effective way possible, and that's by submitting ourselves in prayer to God. God, I need you to show me who you want me to invest in. God, I already feel like I know who that person is. I need you to, I need you to make it happen. I need you to make it grow. I think I've got an idea on how to plant the seed. I think there's already maybe a seed planted there. I, I want to water it, but I need you to make it grow. Pray for people. Another way is get to know your neighbors. Last week, I guess two weeks ago now because it's Sunday, I had several conversations with people who said they met some of their neighbors for the first time because I guess they were sharing opportunities to, to shovel one another's driveway or maybe passing shovels. I don't have a shovel. Well, here you go. I'll, I'll help you. Or, uh, hey, are you out of water too? Because I'm out of water or whatever the case may be. But that's good stuff. That's a great way to invest. Get to know your neighbors. And invest in them. Another way is just spend a couple of extra minutes having spiritual conversations with family members that you're already talking to. So after you get done catching up with them, just spend a a few extra minutes having a spiritual conversation with them. That's a great way to invest. And then after you've invested, invite. We put uh, some of these invite cards. They're in the bag that we give our, um, our new members in our membership class as well. Um, but these cards, mine's wrinkled because I sat down, I guess. Um, they say, you're invited. And let me tell you about this card. If you have a neighbor who you've invested in, let's say um, you have this neighbor that you've invested in, and, and you think, I don't really know what I'm going to do to invite. We're investing and then inviting. Give them this card. And you may think that card means nothing. Well, you're kind of right in that if I gave them this card, that means nothing, right? Because I haven't invested in them like you have. It's just promotional material or something to them coming from me, but coming from you, it means a great deal. Coming from you, they see this card, and not just the card, but they see, oh, that's the person who said they were going to be praying for me about that three weeks ago. Oh, that's the person that always makes my kids feel very welcome, and they come home saying how nice they were treated when they were over at their house playing with their kid. Oh, that's the person who went out of their way to shovel my driveway when I couldn't get out two weeks ago. That's the person who offered me a case of water when I didn't have any last week. Whatever it may be, this card carries much weight coming from you because you have invested in the lives of that person. And listen, don't be scared of messing up what you're going to say. You're not going to say the wrong thing. You don't have to worry about coming up with the right words. Remember, again, it's not up to you. God has gone before you, and God is drawing his would-be children to himself. We simply offer ourselves, and he graciously chooses to use us, to help people find and follow Jesus. God draws them, and we just help them find and follow Jesus. And listen, church, some of them won't follow him. Some of them won't. And again, that's not on you. Only God can save. God draws his children. We simply disciple. And in doing so, we help people find and follow Jesus. And we leave the results up to God, right, Mr. Johnny? Mr. Johnny's teaching a class, sharing Jesus without fear. One of the concepts there is you do your part, and then you leave the results up to God. 
I think that's so important because if I don't do that, I get discouraged and I shut down and I, I stop investing and I stop inviting because I've taken it personal. But it's not up to me. It's up to God. So if you've done your part, you've invested and you've invited and you get to this place where, man, there's some great things happen spiritually and you want to take the conversation to the next level, what do you, what do you say? Well, share Scripture with them. Scripture is the inspired word of the living God. Amen, church? And Scripture alone is God-breathed words, not the words Keaton has to say. And so share Scripture with them. There's power in the Word of God. Ask them how you can pray for them. We've talked about that already. Ask them to come to a worship gathering with you. Again, the power of this invitation card. Ask them to come to a worship gathering with you. And listen, I don't care if you ask them to come to a different worship gathering than this one. Go with them. You may think, what in the world is wrong with him? I'm serious. Like, because this isn't about the banner of Holland Chapel being waved high, right, church? This is about the kingdom of God. And so if you have a, an unchurched neighbor, family member, friend, coworker that you think will go to a worship gathering with you but for whatever reason won't come here, by all means, go with them somewhere. I would love it more than to get a text from you saying, Keaton, I'm not going to be there Sunday because I'm going to church with this person who I've been invested in for a long time, and they want to go there. That's awesome. I could not be more tickled by that. Now, I want you to come back eventually, but that's just, my, that's just me being biased. I'll admit it. That's just me being biased. But extend that invitation. And I can tell you this. If you do invite them to come here to Holland Chapel, they will hear the gospel preached. They will hear the gospel prayed. They will hear the gospel read, and they will hear the gospel sung. I guarantee you, and we make this guarantee to our folks in our membership class, we will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in every worship gathering, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, incapable of saving ourselves. We needed a perfect Savior, and God in his wonderful um, just love and in his all-knowing nature knew that, and he sent his only son, Jesus, who came and was born of a virgin. He lived a perfectly sinless life. Ultimately, he went to the cross of Calvary where he died a horrific death, taking on my sin and yours. But he didn't stay dead, did he, church? On the third day, he came back from the grave. Why? So that you and I can have life. If we repent of our sins and choose to follow Jesus, we too can be made new and alive. Invite him to a worship gathering. Maybe there's some stuff you learned a few weeks ago when we talked about the resurrection. Um, Nick preached about some ways people try to disprove Jesus' resurrection. And I'm not smart enough to remember all that stuff. But... Maybe that's a great tool for you. Then use it. Use it. That's wonderful. Maybe it's difficult for you to remember that. I think one of the best tools you can use is your story of God's redemptive work in your life. Share your story. That same week, we showed a video where Billy Graham said, even if there was no proof that Jesus was raised from the dead, I would still believe. Why? Because the early disciples shared their story of Jesus' redemptive work in their life. They shared their story of Jesus' teachings and commands. 
the power of your story is it cannot be disproven. It's your story. It's, it's really God's story of redemption in your life. So share your personal story. What has God done for you? The early disciples, they shared their story of Jesus' teaching, and it shook the Roman Empire. They gave their lives out of conviction that their story of Jesus' work in their life was the truth. Even next week, Aaron Johnson will be here from Story Church, our church plant, and that's what they're all about, sharing your story of God's redemptive work. That is an incredible way to invest and invite, to disciple and leave the rest up to God because he's the one that makes disciples. There are three ways to respond every week here at Holland Chapel, and I invite you to do that in person if you want. As we close the service, there will be some people in the back at the Connect Corner, and maybe you don't have a story of God's faithfulness and redemptive work in your life. Today can be the day where you have that story of God changing. You saw it demonstrated this morning through baptism. Changed lives. Lives that are marked and obviously different because they've decided to follow Jesus. That can be you today. And we would love to connect with you in person or or connect with us online, just like we heard about this morning, that you've decided to follow Jesus. We would love to hear that. If you're here in person, turn in that Connect card, and if you're online, you can do that by texting Connect HC to 94000. And church, if you are a born-again believer, and you've been redeemed, and you have a story, then take action. Pray, God, who do you want me to invest in? God, I already know who it is. Give me, give me the courage to disciple to invest in them, and to to invite them into a relationship with you, to invite them to come to a worship gathering with me. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you are good. And you have called us to a task, and we humbly accept. But God, I pray that we would not think too highly of ourselves, that we would not get confused as to what our role is. Help us to stay focused, and to disciple. Help us to help people find and follow Jesus by investing and inviting. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.